Hey, you guys, thanks for having me back, dude. I don't know what the heck's wrong with you that you keep doing this to yourselves. <laughs> um, I want to say thank you to you guys. Um, in two weeks, we are having our second Wed Into War conference um, in Austin. And our first one was here. And we would not have had the courage to do the second one if it had not been for you guys and the first one. So thank you guys so much. Uh, we're super excited. Um, I actually had a, uh, had a dream about, you know, what was happening, uh, what was going to happen here today, because Byron had asked me to come preach on the, uh, the Valentine's Day weekend, because I guess I'm marriage guy now, or some <laughs> dumb stuff like that, which I do not want to be. I'm barely, like, making this thing happen ever still, but, uh, you know, I'm just a guy who's just going to talk to you people, okay? I'm just a person just like you. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a shepherd. I'm just a, a bro, all right? So you can call me bro. Um, and I had a dream about it, and B Pastor Byron was like, in the dream, he was like, you know, it's Valentine's Day weekend. I need you to teach on something like super sexy, you know, bro, super sexy, all right? It's like Valentine's Day. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to teach on broccoli. This is what I said in the dream, right? I'm going to teach on broccoli. And uh, I, I woke up, you know, and I was like, gosh, I had this weird dream. And I told my wife, and she's like, yeah, you're doing that. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. That's insane. You know, they're like little trees, you know. Let's at least teach about like a bigger tree or something. She's like, no, you're going to teach on broccoli. So today is called Broccoli and the Curious Metamorphosis of the Soul. So we're going to be talking about, okay, track with me here. Lock with me, okay? Lock with me. You come up to a plate of steaming broccoli. You salt it with, what was that salt you gave us last night? Whatever she just said, a special salt that came from some mountain. Now you consume this broccoli. You don't, you're not stoked on it, but you do it. And here's what happens, okay? You consume it. Your body metabolizes it. And it undergoes a metamorphosis. And it becomes body. Like, track with me for a second. This green, squishy substance, you eat it, your body metabolizes it, it goes through a metamorphosis like a butterfly in a cocoon, it gets all liquid and gooey and strange, and then it comes out as fingernails and hair and growth and human and body. It's, it's, it's like God is inviting us into the story of creation by consuming the things that he gave us, and then it becomes more us. That blows me away. And I've got kids now. Man. And they can metabolize some freaking food, dude. You know, first I had two daughters, and they were just like, you know, their oatmeal would turn into body, and now my eight-year-old's, you know, getting bigger. But then I had a son. Oh, my gosh. He metabolizes freaking oatmeal and bars and snacks and mac and cheese and all this stuff, and he's growing, and it's just, and I'm just like, you have to, like, sit back and watch for a second. Like, what is happening that I can eat something? My son can eat something. It becomes part of him, and then he gets bigger and that thing becomes him, right? That thing becomes brain cells and neurons and, 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 and a nucleus and all this crazy stuff. Like if you guys aren't mind blown, you should be because check this out. If I were to put rock on your plate and you were to consume rock, would your body be able to metabolize it? Would it go under metamorphosis and would it become body? No. Right? Some of you guys were like, wait, have I tried this? <laughs> no! And this is crazy. Okay, here's why this is crazy. Because me, I'm made of carbon. Rock, carbon. Broccoli, carbon. 
Eat broccoli, become body. I become one with nature, oneness. I eat rock, I get sick and die. What is happening here on, on a metaphysical level that I can consume broccoli and it becomes body, but if I consume rock, it becomes sickness and death. I want to understand this. And the key element, right, is water, right? It's so interesting. Don't even get me started on water, y'all. You know, actually, I'm going to preach on water for a second, okay? Water's like a type of the Holy Spirit and all this stuff, right? So let's go in hard. This clear stuff, dude, give me some of that clear stuff. It's so good. It falls from the sky. Did you guys know that? It falls from the sky, and it collects in pools so that we can irrigate and channel it and purify it. I mean, here's what's crazy. If you don't have that clear stuff, you die, isn't it crazy there are atheists walking around like, there is no God. I'm like, what you drinking? That fell from the freaking sky, bro. Like, that's crazy. And then it combines with dirt, and that water and dirt and seeds becomes broccoli, and you consume it, and that becomes body, and this is the great circle in which you live and are part of every single day. It's a freaking miracle. Can I say freaking? Buyer's not here. It's a freaking miracle. Now, check this out. In the same way... The body consumes, becomes one, and becomes body. The soul consumes and becomes one and becomes soul. Your soul metabolizes things like love and intimacy, and it produces, it metamorphosizes into character and integrity or brokenness or anger. Or hurt. Now, I just learned anger is a secondary emotion, so I guess maybe not anger, but track with me here. You ever watch Supersize Me back in the day? I'm dating myself a little bit. It was like one of the first documentaries <laughs> that people actually watched. And this guy, he lives on McDonald's only for 30 days, and he just tracks everything that happens to his body, right? And his body, of course, just goes completely downhill. He's this fit, healthy guy. 30 days later, he's not anymore, right? Because your body sorry to break this to you, it can't metabolize McDonald's in the same way that it can metabolize broccoli, okay? In the same way, the soul, there are things that it cannot metabolize. It are, there are things that make it sick and make it weak. There are things that it completely has to reject, like rock. I cannot eat rock, okay? My son, he tries. It does not work out very well, especially a couple hours later, okay? So th there are things that the body cannot metabolize. There are things that the soul can't metabolize. And as I was thinking through the miracle of just living every single day, this idea popped into my head. What does the soul wish to consume? What does the soul metamorphosize into things like character and integrity and courage? And I thought of this verse, man. And it's not going to be on the screen. Just pull it up on your phones, grab your Bibles. It's in 1 Corinthians 6. You guys are adults. You can do this. <laughs> Or don't. I don't, whatever. Whatever you want to do. Check this out. This is in chapter 6, verse 18. It says, flee from sexual immorality. What a, it just sounds so Christian, doesn't it? Flee sexual immorality. What's crazy is I, everything I'm about to read, I just feel like the English language has just jacked it up so bad. Okay, number one, flee literally. In the Greek, okay, not literally, but figuratively, it means get the out, okay? That's what it means. Like run as hard and fast as you can. Get as far away as you possibly can. Okay, sexual morality. Check this out. 
That's one word in the Greek. It's not this phrase, sexual immorality. It's one word. And that word is porneia. He's saying, run like hell from porneia. Now, does porneia sound like any other words you guys know? Yeah, that's where we get the word pornography, porno, pornographic, right? It all comes from this root word. Words are so hard. I'm going to get them all jacked up. It comes from this root word, porneia. Now, here's what's interesting about this, right? They didn't have Pornhub.com back then, right? There were no computers, okay? I did a fact check on this. There weren't. So what exactly is Paul using this word to mean? Well, he's actually quoting it from Jesus. Jesus said porneia when he said that the one who commits sexual sin, porneia, there's grounds for divorce there back in Matthew. You guys can ask Byron about that later, okay? But check this out. The Greek word actually means to prostitute one's purity. And so you get the idea that there's something of great value. It's your sexual identity. And you sell it for something so much less than it's worth. That's what that means. And the Greek there is vulgar on purpose so that we understand Paul here is saying, run like your life depends upon it from porneia. Why? Check it out. He goes on to say, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. What the heck does that mean, right? Like, I think of, like, all the other sins you could commit, right? Like, what's the difference? Like, if I steal, isn't that sinning against my body? If I murder, isn't that sinning against my body? And what Paul is saying is there's something unique about the connection from soul to spirit that happens only when there's porneia. Your body cannot metabolize porneia into character, into integrity, into soul. Your soul cannot metabolize and metamorphosize porneia into character, courage, soul. There's something metaphysical and deeply spiritual happening here. Okay, I want to talk about this word sin real quick, dude. I hate that word so much. Um, I, I don't hate it. Like, I'm not like one of those, like, you know, biblical, you know, we didn't just stop using the word sin so that people feel comfortable in church. It's not that. I feel like it's so much smaller than what it really is in the Western culture. It's like this nitpicky list of things that we're constantly doing wrong, and we're hearing, I'm a sinner, I need to stop sinning, and I need to stop, you know, lies of omission and lies of commission, and I need to stop my, my thoughts. I can't, con- you know, I can't, con- I need to bounce my head at the gym, and everyone's walking around like this, you know. And I just think it's so much bigger than that. In fact, the word, the root word, you guys probably know this because Byron's a freaking theologian, but man, the root word is hamartia, right? Which is an archery term. What the heck does archery have to do with anything we're talking about today, man? And I realized here in the the Greek specifically, it's hamarteon, which means this. It means to act in a way as if the consequences matter. Very interesting. So it's archery and and, and actions have consequences, those two ideas together, instead of thinking about this, you know, line that you have to live perfectly, what if we just thought about, am I even looking at the right thing, target? Right. What, what, am I even, am 
with, with our sexual identity, what's God trying to do here? And I'm going to make the argument that he's actually trying to build a dynasty, and he's trying to give you destiny, and he's trying to build a lineage through you. And so what are you aiming at? Are you aiming at a casual encounter? Where is that going to take you? What's the consequence of that? Are you aiming at, at hedonism just for the fun of it? Where's that going to take you? I think what God's, well, what Paul's asking here is, hey, adjust your aim and realize that what you should be looking at is two, three, four generations into the future, and the decisions you make today about your sexual integrity actually affect into the future. And that is what it means to adjust your aim. That's what I'm thinking, man. I think it's so much bigger than am I just doing the right or wrong thing. It's almost like am I building the right or wrong thing? What am I building? What am I metabolizing and metamorphosizing into the current future? That's what this verse is saying, man. So look what it says. Every target that you're looking at, a person commits is outside the body, but this target of sexual hedonism or whatever that thought process is, is one that is changing and affecting your body. So lock with me here. The body, when it consumes pornea, it tries to metabolize it into these things, but it creates something that we actually don't want. And this is insane, but I know you guys probably know this because you guys are super smart and YouTube is like really accessible to everybody. But when you look at porn, and porn has all kinds of forms, right? Really, it's any way that you get a huge amount of dopamine for very little effort. And it has to do with sexual integrity. But here's what's happening in the metaphysical, in your mind, in the physical, okay? Your, your mind is overwhelmed with a flood of dopamine. And dopamine's good. Dopamine's, dopamine's broccoli. Like, we need that trash. We metabolize that. We turn it into body. We turn it into soul. It's the good stuff, okay? It is the real stuff. You're supposed to get it by, like, moving out of your parents' house and getting a job. You're supposed to get it by going to college and getting educated. You're supposed to get it by building a body that's, str that's strong internally and externally. That's what dopamine's there for. It's to get your butt out of bed, okay? That's what it's there for. Now, when you get it cheap... What happens is your brain is overwhelmed and flooded with this dopamine, and your brain's like, whoa, too much, too much. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to cover, my, my, I'm gonna cover the, the, the pleasure receptors in my brain with this stuff called delta Foss. It's literally a just chemistry experiment happening in your brain, okay? You're getting all this dopamine. Your brain's like, too much. It's putting out delta Foss. delta Foss B now covers those pleasure receptors, to try and get, the, get you back leveled. And then you, because you're just like in, you're down in the pit, man, you just put more dopamine. And this is why you have to go deeper and darker. This is why we, we now want novel partners. You know, an eight-year-old today can have more uh, interactions with naked women than most men of all time had in their entire lifetime put together in just one day. Like, that's crazy, right? He can have a harem at his fingertips, right? He's eight, you know? Uh, this is the reality, is that these are our future freaking people, man. And uh, you, so you, you're, in this, you're in this just overwhelming dopamine dance until finally your pleasure centers can't feel anything. They're so covered with that crud. And then we go out and try and make decisions about our sexual integrity, <laughs> about monogamy or, or <laughs> it's just, it's wild, right? Man, the sin of pornea 
is a sin against your body because it changes you at a physical level. And it breaks your ability to make right decisions when it comes to this very, very precious and important part of you. That's wild. Look what it goes on to say. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? That is like the most Christian, Christianese verse I've ever read in my entire life. Again, I just feel like the English language just totally emasculates what's actually happening here. In fact, I think it could be better read like this. Or do you not know that the innermost part of your body is a divine manifestation of the set-apart Spirit of God? Do you not know that your sexual identity is the place where God is divinely manifesting himself, making himself known to your soul, metabolizing body and soul together and joining your, your, your bipartisan body into, into one. He's revealing himself in that place. He's passionate about that place in your heart and in your life. Look what verse 19 says. I think we just need to adjust our aim here, right? It's like, man, when we think about that part of us, sexual identity, I just think we think too small. It is a great quote, C.S. Lewis. It's not that pornography shows us too much. It's that it shows us too little. The The act of sex... It's, it's wild, um, and we, we're, we're just like kind of unpacking this right now, but what, what, what sex does, and this isn't a message like stop having premarital sex. That's not what this message is. If I could say what this message is, it's that may you make so much of sex that it brings heaven to earth, and that you realize that's, the, that's what it's doing. Well, there's this idea, you know, I, you, know you, you can try and have a casual encounter and you can say that it's casual and it doesn't mean anything and you can ghost them and, and, and move on to the, to the next conquest because that's what pornography has silently trained you to do is move from novel to novel experience. And you can do that all day and you can claim that it doesn't hurt or affect anybody. Uh, but the reality is, is that your soul is opening a door and there's a mingling of souls. And what happens when, a, when the soul's door is open is that trauma is ready to see the light of day childhood trauma. And when your childhood trauma is ready to see the light of day, and there's not a partner there who, can, who has the responsibility or the covenant to walk you through that darkness, then your soul gets eroded to the idea of even healing. Wow. There's a lot of stuff happening that we don't understand. What, can, what is the soul wishing to metabolize? What is the metamorphosis that's happening on the inside that you don't even know about? And I can tell you, after being married for 13 years and struggling and fighting through a pornography addiction myself, that it's only in the marriage that the light of day has been able to expose deep, dark places that I didn't even know existed. Reasons why I think the way I think and I act the way I act are now being exposed to the light of day. And I'm with a partner who's in covenant with me. 
And she has said, I'm not going anywhere, but I'm not going to let you sit there in your filth. You're going to be the, the son of God that you were promised to be. And it's time to start metabolizing the real stuff and going after the real stuff so that I can become a man of character and integrity who can adjust my aim and shoot an arrow with all my might into the most distant future that I can imagine, right? And we have to understand how big this is. Look at this. Your body is the divine manifestation of the set-apart spirit, that holy word. We've also kind of robbed that word of its meaning, you know, holy. What does holy mean? It means set-apart. It means there's a purpose greater than the one that is norm, okay? Now, check this out. It says, you are not your own. This is, of course, a nod to the cross, right? The gospel Look what it says, for you were bought with a price. Context, sexual identity. Paul says, you were bought with a price. Your sexual identity was bought with a price. Wise man once told me, worth is determined by what somebody is willing to pay. God paid Jesus for your sexual identity. Therefore, is there anything casual about it? Is it valuable? Yes. Does it matter? Yes. I'm going to make the argument why here in a second, but check this out. You were bought with a price. So glorify, there's another one of those churchy words. The Greek here is doxazo, to ascribe worth by recognizing substance. Okay? Recognize the substance of your sexual identity. It was bought with a price. What price? Jesus. And therefore, use it to bring value back to God. Okay? Now, think of Hebrews 13. It says, let the marriage bed be undefiled and let the marriage be held in honor among all. So interesting. There's a part of the marriage bed. It's secret. It's hidden. It's holy. Set apart. Valuable hidden. Lots of stuff I'm not going to talk to you about here, right? But the marriage needs to be held in honor. These two are a handshake. When the marriage bed is defiled with porneia, when it's defiled with brokenness and shame and lies, man, is the marriage held in honor above all for all to see? No. Is that what we're experiencing today in a marriage erosion, eroded uh, uh, context? Yes. I mean, I'm not surprised when the divorce rate is 50% in the church depending on what statistics you read on Facebook. <laughs> when the divorce rate pre- post-COVID outside of the church is pushing 62%, am I surprised? No, because the marriage, the marriage bed's de- defiled. And this is what God said would happen. And so a reclaiming of uh, the marriage being held in honor is going to be a reclaiming of the purity of the marriage bed. Yeah? It's just science, you know? So crazy. This is all in this 2,000-year-old document, by the way. So glorify God in your body. And there's, there's, another, there's another thing in the, in the English I just don't like here. It actually says in the Hebrew, so glorify God in your body, spirit. You understand that through sexual union, body and spirit become one. Body and spirit metabolize into other. That's amazing. I want to talk for a second, okay? I've been kind of journeying into uh, podcast book land about all this because I'm I'm really curious about what 
sexual identity has to do with heaven. And um, that journey has taken me down some really weird paths. And I kind of want to just kind of just kind of like slobber all over this for a second to see if you guys get anything out of it, all right? Sorry, that was too graphic. Um, but it really does set the tone for where we're going. So, um, okay, check this out. This guy named Rob Henderson wrote this book called Luxury Beliefs. And the premise or the thesis of this book is this, that the affluent, the wealthy, they talk about these ideologies. For example, the ones that are being talked about today is gender fluidity. Um, they're talking about um, monogamy, polyamory, which is multiple partners. Uh, they're talking about um, body and spirit. Um, and these conversations are happening at the affluent level. And this is how we take in all information, by the way. You're going you're gonna to go to Instagram probably during the sermon, and you're going to get some new information from somebody who literally is an influencer. They want to influence the way you think, and they are wealthy and affluent, okay? And they're going to question things like gender. They're going to question things like monogamy and, and, they're gonna, and, and, and marriage, and, and, and the dominance hierarchy is like hot button right now. You know, the idea that there's a man and a woman's under that man, and together they're the nuclear family, that that's the way to raise kids. They're not questioning all that, okay? And I'm open to the conversation, and I'm not saying I have any of the answers on this. I'm saying that I want, I want to think it through. Okay, now this guy's, this guy's belief here, this, this guy's premise is this. The affluent have these conversations. They inform, because they have bigger platform, because they're wealthy, the working class, okay, which is most of us in here, right? Hopefully you all got jobs. <laughs> it's kind of like half the point of this message is go get a job. Um, but uh, here's, here's what's crazy, is that 1960s, free love, it was a sexual revolution, okay? And this, like, condoms were invented, um, you know, and so uh, the pill was invented, and so women had this choice about their bodies, what they wanted to do with it, and so sex just became something different, good or bad, I don't know, okay? I'm, I'm going to stay as neutral as I can here. And then from the, uh, 1960, 90% of American families were two-parent homes and kids, okay? This is in the affluent class, upper class. This is also in the middle class, 90% about. Okay, fast forward from 1960 and the free love movement, contraception, fast forward to 2005, okay? In the affluent, it's dropped down to 85%, from 90 to 85. Not a big drop, okay? While we're questioning, you know, the nuclear family and all these things, not a big deal, okay? Not a big drop. But in the working class, it went from 90% to 30%. And so his thesis here is the people who are governing the ideas and the conversation about those ideas don't even live according to those ideas, but they pass them down to the working class who are now enslaved by them while they continue to live monogamous and in nuclear families, for, by and large part. I think it's interesting. In fact, the guy who wrote this book said he was interviewing somebody who held the belief big time. Let's cut down the dominance hierarchy. Let's get rid of you know, patriarchs. Let's, let's just make everybody equal. Let's question the nuclear family. Let's question gender. And let's, like, let's have these conversations big time. And he just asked her. He's like, that's crazy. Like, What are you going to do after graduate school? 
And she's like, you know, I'm going to settle down and get married, have a couple kids. And it's like, why? you were just like, you're an evangelist for us to think differently and ask these questions. But at the end of the day, man, it's scientifically proven that the nuclear family actually sets up kids the best. I just think this is so interesting. I want to talk about dating apps for a second. I do believe that dating apps, like when I was, okay, so I am a recovering porn addict. I'm like three, three years in March clean of hardcore pornography, okay? Yeah, I choose those words carefully, okay? You know, there's softcore porn that I still have to resist constantly and confess to my wife. And there's, um, you know, they call it um, porn adjacent, pornography adjacent material. Um, and I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm battling all this, as everybody should. It is a war, you know, for my, I want my dopamine sensor, pleasure centers back. But as I was going through that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm early married. I'm a young pastor at the time, and I'm hiding this double life. I'm addicted to pornography. And um, that's hard, right? You, you have an experience on Saturday, and then you get up Sunday morning and say, let's worship Jesus together, and you're just full of crap. You know, you're just a liar. Uh, and I had to wrestle with God on that for many years, and then I got married, and it was quickly discovered because you can't hide something like that for too long. And uh, at least you, sh- you really shouldn't. And then begin the journey to wholeness. And, 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 and that was large part because my wife said, I'm not going anywhere, but I'm going to fight like hell to get you to become who you're becoming. You know, and that's, that's the place where I've really started to experience freedom. Okay, check this out. Two, three years into marriage where I'm getting busted looking at porn probably once every six months or something, you know, and lying about it and all that. Fun, really fun time. And I just began to tell God, like, monogamy is not even like, it's not a thing. Like, why are we trying to do this? Like, it's, it's stupid. And, uh, you know, I started listening to, like, some podcasts. It's like, monkeys aren't even monogamous and all this stuff. I'm like, dude, yeah, you know, I'm basically just a bigger monkey, you know, and, uh, and so I, I started to doubt monogamy uh, big time, and what's crazy is that, you know, I don't think I ever told Jules that, <laughs> that probably would end well, but in the back of my head, I'm thinking this through, you know, and what's crazy is that I realized one day, why, how did I come to that conclusion? Well, I came to that conclusion because my, my, my broken body longs for novel experiences, new New women, right? I just want to, that's what novel means. I'm going to stop saying new women, though, because that sounds real creepy. Uh, uh, But my body longs for novel experiences. Why? Because I've been trained by pornography to seek novel experiences and novel mates because my pleasure centers are so warped and covered in junk that they don't feel it with one anymore, so I have to go deeper and deeper, deeper and farther and farther and farther, right? We see kids now, right, 14 years old with, ED, like this is a problem, right? And I realized that, oh my gosh, I can't even have a conversation with myself about sexual identity because I've been trained by pornography how to think. And that day I was like, you know what? I'm gonna cut all dopamine. I did like a hard cut. So I stopped watching TV. I stopped eating food that is sweet and makes me feel good. Uh, I stopped looking at porn. And I'm telling you what, I put about six, four to six months between me and my, my last pornographic experience, and my heart longed for monogamy. My heart longed for my wife, for, for true naked and unashamed oneness. And I realized I had been lied to. I've been lied to. This is my perspective. You know, you don't have to agree with it. Okay, let's talk about some dating apps real quick. 
Now, this is crazy. So, so Rob Henderson got together with a guy named Robert Putman, Dr. Robert Putman. And they did this study. They started at MIT, okay? MIT has more men than women. Keep that in mind. That'll be important in a second. And they did this study where they started a Tinder app, uh, Tinder profile, and they made their sphere the MIT campus, which is mostly affluent, wealthy, young women, right? And what they found is that at this campus, there was more men than women. Women on their profile, one out of two, were looking for something casual, something quick. What's interesting about this is they took that same sphere and they just, this is between the ages of 18 and 23, by the way, they took that same sphere and they just adjusted it to five miles outside the campus. And now the statistic changed to one out of two were single mothers looking for long-term relationships. And it's almost as if the decisions of the former become the promised future of the latter. And I just want to ask a question. What are these apps training us to do? What are these apps, what, what kind of questions are they asking our, our sexual integrity? What is our soul metabolizing out of these, these uh, situations? Okay, now check this out. I'm not even done. So this got their wheels turning. So what they did is they found a college, same demographic. They found a college that was more men, more women than men. Okay, now understand what's happening here. At a college that's more women than men, the women have to compete with each other to get uh, guys. Okay, understand that. A college that's more men than women, the men have to compete with each other because there's a smaller pool of girls. Now, here's what's so wild. At the campus where there was more women who had to compete, women, one out of two were putting on their profile, open to casual encounters. I just want to hook up free sex, okay? That's what it was, because that's what men are looking for on Tinder there. Now, the college that has more men than women, and the men have to compete, guess what one out of two profiles said? It said, actually it was more than one out of two, it was 75%. It said, I want a long-term relationship. I want something that will last. I want somebody to have adventures with into my old age. And it's this realization that your sexual identity actually changes the landscape of where you are. That's wild. You have the power to change your college, your community, your city, your nation with just how you aim this one aspect of your life. And it's crazy to me that when men have to compete, they grow up. Isn't that insane? Because guess what? That dopamine, that drive, it's there for a reason. It's there so I get my butt out of bed. I move out of my mommy's house. I go get a freaking real job. I hit the gym so I don't look like, you know, freaking Jolly Rancher when I'm brushing my teeth or whatever. You know, I, and I got, that didn't make any sense, but I just track with me, man. That's what that's there for. And that when there's a competition and I've got to compete with my brothers to get a mate, guess what? I grow up. And I start living different, and the whole community becomes changed. Ladies, when you're competing for a man, and there's a small pool of men, the worst thing you could do 
is give in to our tyrannical uh, uh, needs, okay? It does not work. Those needs are meant to be satiated within the covenant, and we will work to get to the covenant as long as it takes that work. Understand that. Do not settle. Don't settle. Because you can change the landscape of your city just by saying, ah, I'm waiting for a man. I ain't going to deal with these boys. What kind of power do we have? Man, there is such a darker reality, too, here. Dating apps, Jordan Peterson said this. Uh, I jotted down, mine went insane. Dating apps are a training ground for what? For monogamy? No. Do you think dating apps want you to like find the one? No, because then you don't need them anymore, right? So no, that's not the goal of the dating app. They actually want you hooked on there forever, going from encounter to encounter, relationship to relationship, so that you give their company profit, okay? It's a training ground for prolonged adolescence and ultimately the dark triad, which I'm going to talk to you guys about what the dark triad is in a second. They create hyper-successful predatory males. That is the point. Who do you think the target audience of dating apps is? Young men. In fact, they have bots on dating apps with model profile pictures. And the whole job of the bot is to grab a 16-year-old kid, an 18-year-old kid, and engage them in a conversation, and they get some dopamine. Because, man, it is, a, it is porne, porne if you, if you If you hit, hit up any of those dating apps. That's all it is. That's what it is. It's pornography. It's, just this, it's a little slower uh, dopamine drip, okay? So you grab that guy. The bots are actually programmed to have a conversation with them, two sentences long. So. You, you, you talk to the bot, the bot talks back, you talk back, they talk back, then they ghost you. What's the point? Man, it's called chasing the dragon. They want to give you that first hit. Understand it's a drug, right? Chasing the dragon comes from heroin users. You get that first hit for free, and then you're hooked for life. That's the goal of the dating app, okay, from my perspective. Do with that what you want, okay? It creates hyper-successful predatory males. Understand that it's a small population, small percentage of dating app users are able to turn this into a consistent casual encounter, hookup mentality, okay? It's not every dude can pull that off, okay? You have to have certain genetic features. Now, what's interesting is the ones who are able to pull it off, these are the people who will eventually be our future leaders. <laughs> they have charisma, they have good looks, they usually have a way to generate wealth uh, quickly, and they like to celebrate all the partners they can collect to themselves, okay? That's wild, right? Um, so these, these are gonna be the people that eventually lead us. Um, the, the, the uh, dating apps, they eliminate rejection and course correction and therefore character development. It's so important for guys to be rejected, okay? And I know I'm talking like men are pursuing women, and I still think, you know, that that's a good thing. Um, you know, Ruth and Boaz, though, you know, you can make an argument for whatever, but here's the deal. Rejection is so important because when you go after a mate and you're rejected, you have to look at yourself and be like, what did I do wrong? Why am I an idiot? And then you course correct, and you grow up, and you get character and integrity, right? And then you go out there, and you try again, and it builds resilience and courage. Because why? Because we have a real enemy, and we need those qualities for that. But when you have a dating app, man, you just swipe right, swipe right, swipe right. I have 2,000 matches 
just to choose from. I can just try and pull that off maybe with 1% success rate. That 1% success rate now gives me this courage that isn't real. It's liquid courage. And then I just go and I, I, I'm casually encountering these people. And if you reject me, it's fine. I'm just going to move on to the next target. There's no social, you know, um, anything put on me. And I can just continue this bad behavior and never grow up. It prolongs adolescence, right? It determines directly the personal growth of humans. This is crazy to me. This is what the dark triad is. Psychopathy. That's the inability to feel um, empathy. It's when you see a puppy get kicked and you laugh instead of cry, you know. Uh, narcissism. That's when you believe you're all that and you are more focused on you than anybody else. In fact, you have a false view of even your uh, qualities. Machiavellianism. Machiavellianism is the ability to lie to someone's face to make them believe something so um, purely that they're willing to give you their life. And these are called the dark triad. And how do dating apps pour into this? Man, psychopathy, you collect yourself a nice number of casual encounters. You ghost them. That's the new way to break up, by the way. That's just how you break up. You just stop talking to them. No closure. No, here's what you could have done wrong. Here's ways you could have grown. Nope, you ghost them. I got what I needed out of you. You move on to the next con conquest. Someone's left heartbroken. You don't care about that. You build up enough of that. You stop caring about anything. How does it build narcissism? You're only focused on yourself. You start to collect some, some maybe success in this realm. And then all of a sudden you think you're all that. And the fact of the matter is you're just actually stealing from people's souls. In my opinion, Machiavellianism, dude, it is proven true that guys on Tinder will say anything to get with a girl. They will tell him that he wants to have their babies. He will tell them that he wants a life with them. He will tell them that he wants to provide for them and, 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 and build a life together, and it's all bullcrap. This is the dark triad. What are we consuming, and what are we metabolizing out? Psychopathy, not integrity, narcissism, not sacrificial servanthood, right? I want to read really quick. This is Malachi chapter 2. Last book of the Old Testament. Pull it up if you want. I'm going to read it no matter what. Then we'll get you out of here. Okay, check this out. Verse 15. Did he not make them one? That word in the Hebrew is ichad. It's the same word that God used in Genesis when he said, the two shall become one flesh. And they were both naked and without shame. It's also the same word from Deuteronomy where it says the Lord our God is one. A compound unity. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? There's that idea again. Spirit and body. Body and spirit. A joining of the nucleus of who you are, the center of who you are. Also, the Spirit wasn't poured out to win. Pentecost. But marriage in the Old Testament, 400 years before there's even an utterance of a Savior, at least. And we have what? The Spirit given it in a special uh, encounter. And it's the sexual union between husband and wife. Very interesting. And what was the one God seeking? Again, the, he, the English here just jacks this up. I love what the Hebrew says literally. It says, so what does the one who hates divorce, the Lord God Almighty, want? That's what's in the Hebrew. Why did we take that out? I don't know. He says, I am the one who hates divorce. He says this, godly offspring. Wow. 
when he joins you to your spouse, he's pointing your arrow at legacy. That's what he's doing. He's adjusting your arrow to start thinking three, four, five generations down the pipeline. He's the God who holds the future and knits our broken fat past that the future might be heaven on earth. How is he going to do it? He's going to have godly babies who have godly babies who have godly babies until the reality of heaven is realized completely on earth. He's adjusting your aim. He's bringing it back to center. He's adjusting your aim. He's trying to get your mind off of hedonism. He's trying to get your mind off of casual. There's nothing casual about what has been bought with the price. Jesus, he's adjusting your aim back on target. Look what it says. Look what he goes on to say here. He says, so guard yourselves. Take up arms. Pick up a shield. Understand you need to put some attention in this place. Guard that nucleus of your soul and body. Guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Guard that covenant that has come and you've made or is yet to come, guard it in your spirit, protect it, understand its value, that it is that, that will bring doxod to God. Like what the heck? Look what it says. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence. That's a weird thing to say, right? And what, what the writer there is saying is that your lineage is before God's eyes. He sees start to finish. He sees into the future. He sees the reality of heaven uh, coming to earth. And he looks at that and he says that break in the chain opens up for the enemy's attacks of violence to where he has to cut it off and start afresh. Man, what does, what does the spirit want to metabolize? Courage, strength, loyalty staying power because out of that heaven comes to earth listen 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 i know for a lot of you this is a place of deep brokenness i know for a lot of you man the, the enemy is even whispering in your ear it's too late it's too late you've already given this up you've already lost you've already listen 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 this is the heart of jesus okay listen i think of the woman who was caught in the act of pornea, okay? She's thrown half clothed at Jesus' feet. And all the pastors of the day came out and said, the law of Moses says we have to stone her. She has to be killed for what she's been caught doing. They're setting Jesus up. And the story says, I freaking love this. The story says, he stood up. He stood up and he faced those guys. And it says they backed up. Oh, God, what's going on? I just realized, man, Jesus stands guard over your sexual identity. He stands up to anybody who would bring an accusation. He stands up and everyone backs off. And he gets down and he writes in the sand. I don't know what he was writing. I don't know if it was the sin of each guy, you know, and they drop their stone and walk away. I don't know if he was just saying, dude, you guys aren't even worth my time. I'm going to draw some stick figures in the sand right now. I don't know what it was, but I know this. Each accuser dropped their rock and they turned away and they walked away. And when nobody was left but Jesus and that woman, did he turn and grab a stone as the only one who had a right to fulfill that mosaic law? 
Did he finish the job? No! Man, he turned to her and he looked her dead in the eye and he said, adjust your aim. Adjust your aim. This thing you've been selling for nothing, I'm paying for it with my body. I'm paying for it with my blood and it is of the utmost value and through it, if you could only see that heaven comes to earth, if you just adjust your aim. God has in his mind for you dynasty. Don't sell it for something less. Protect it and guard it. He stands watch over it. And I'm telling you what, he restores. I love my God because he can take a mind that has been saturated in the dopamine gunk of pornography for 20 years and he even finds a way to metabolize that into courage and the ability to stand before you today with a marriage that is strong. He can take the most broken parts of you and he can turn it into soul. Love you guys, man. Keep going.